Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. And my name is John Keeley. This is the 381st show of ROI, and our guest for today's show is Ryan Sandler. Associate Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at our St. Ambrose University, who is going to talk to us about the Black experience in Davenport. The history buffs for today's show are Rick Sweet and Ed Broders. The show's theme is titled Kayla's Theme, which was written and performed by Mark Zapzaptel. Our producer and engineer is, as always, Mr. David Baker. This is our opening segment of the show called History is Local, and we'll be talking about the Black experience in Davenport with Ryan Sadler, Associate Vice President for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at St. Ambrose University. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Thank you. Glad to be here. Great. Um, so can you tell us a little bit? I know, you know you're not, like you said before, you're not a history buff or whatever, but I was just curious, um, what do we know about the first black residents in Davenport? Yeah, from what I um, have, I guess, access to, the research that uh, was done by a gentleman by the name of Craig Klein, um, who did early Davenport history uh, from settlement through the 1920s, has, and then followed up with some other research by a gentleman by the name of Charles Pearson, who have been, been working with, who's working on a, a um, uh, Iowa Civil Rights Trail, uh, Percep and, and, and uh this whole concept of of blacks in Iowa and the thought of it is that really it starts here in Davenport, Iowa and the first black property that uh, they've noted and I I don't have the year but it was a property that was deeded to a a, a former slave by the name of Rhodey Sims and it would have been in the 1900 in the East Village where one of the first properties was by a gentleman uh, owned by W.C. Fulton, um, and it went to another person and then um, then to Rhodey Sims, who was a slave, uh, uh, he, yeah, he was a former slave out of Missouri. Huh. Okay. Okay, uh, so let's, with this first establishment of property owned by this individual, um, I know this is quite a ways back, obviously, in the beginning of, uh, the first 50 years of Davenport. Uh, how documented is this? Because I must admit, uh, we have had a lot of uh, different people from different backgrounds come to um, Davenport. Uh, is there a lot of documentation, or was this really hard scratch research that it was hard and difficult to find? Yeah, I, I again, I'm not the primary researcher, but I, but I, I right. think this was um, a little digging to do. Um, as you look at um, the plot maps and, and whatnot. And so they they went through their, their process, and I believe this is uh, on file with uh, the Davenport uh, Library, public library. Okay. okay. Um, I, I'm, so I'm curious, since we're, we're talking about sort of the black experience in Davenport, so let's take that time period from that, that first settlement that we have record of and run it through the early 1900s, let's say 1900, 1910, maybe even 1920. What kind of experience did um, did black folks have 
uh, in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, can you give us just sort of a feel of what it was like to be a black person living in, in that time period? Well, um, I wish I could, but I, but from what I know, um, and, and from some of the, the, the things that I've been able to, to look at and read and understand, I guess, um, probably the best example would be there, there were very few black people in, um, what would have been the Scott County, Iowa territory, um, and in, in up until the 1900s, um, to, to be honest, I mean, really, the, the, the census data, uh, which you can go back and look at as well to kind of find some of these facts. I mean, we had at one point, eight, uh, like two black people, I think is what they counted. But again, we have to also understand that in Iowa, we had um, Blacks that weren't necessarily on the document as residents because we did have indentured servants. And there is evidence, uh, one of the most, well, what I consider the most important case for the Civil War was was that of John Emerson, who lived here, Dr. Emerson, who uh, was a surgeon who lived here and died here. And there's, there's documented papers um, through the Antoine Leclerc papers that Emerson had the approval to have indentured servants here in Iowa. And one of those indentured servants, as we know, is uh, Dred Scott. And so the plaque that sits down there in Emerson Square is that of Dred Scott. And so so you had this this piece. And we know that um, while there were some freed blacks here and this was considered free territory, we still had this this interesting mix, um, eventually a free territory. Well, we never documented having slaves in Iowa, but um, there was slave labor. I mean, there's there's evidence of uh, on Oneida Street, uh, 900 block of Oneida Street, of of slaves pushing a, a house up a hill in the middle of winter, and it got away from them and killed a number of them. Um, in that, and that's documented in in some papers and uh, news articles. So uh, you had that life of the I'll, I'll say slaves. Right. I mean, we call them indentured servants, call them what you want. Right. It's slaves. It's, it's slaves. <laughs> right. Um, and yeah, then you. Are. Yeah. And then you had the, the, the lives of those individuals who were freed um, or free. And. Um, and you say going up to the 1900s and uh, you know, early 1900s, you had a community of black people um, in, in an area eventually that that to 1930s, 40s or whatever in this area. It actually went a bit longer than that. Um, called Goose Hollow, which stretched from about Harrison Street on 8th, 9th Street, Davenport, all the way to Marquette Street and cross Gaines. And now it, it shrinks of Gaines and, and uh, about Ripley is about as far as it goes in that, in that area. But that was segregated black Davenport and while segregation may sound like it was a terrible thing it was the community sure and and so people had that sense of community um that I think today we 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 sometimes miss (laughs) sure well well and that you're bringing it up I hate to say it and this is the term that's definitely it's been there it's resurfacing and i hope people recognize it but redlining has been going on forever 
And uh, I remember talking, to, uh, we had a, a, not with this show, but our district had a professor from Augustana who talked about um, local, uh, local minorities and how they lived in the Quad City areas. And he said that it was up till 1970 that the, uh, the cities, and Davenport in particular, had the um, uh, uh, de facto segregation undertone that you could not sell uh, any house to a minority north of Locust and east of Eastern. And that was up till 1970. That's correct. So the redlining you're talking about had to have been there a hell of a lot earlier than that. Yes. Oh, no, I would think. Um, so I'm curious, and this is my own bias, mm-hmm. but when I think of 19th century black culture, I tend to think of the South. Yes. And so I'm interested from the information that you're aware of, is black culture in Iowa significantly different than that? Is it that transplanted? Is it hybridized? What's it look like? I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, um, an accurate quote from uh, Malcolm X, who said any, any black person born um, south of Canada has, is born in the south. And and so there's this sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good quote. And, and so there's that this works. there's this sense that um, the south of, of the Mason Dixon line, you had these this harsh uh, racism and, and, and whatnot. And north of the Mason Dixon line, you had these black people who were freed. But we have to remember uh, that there were laws and things put in place um, mm-hmm. that that could, you know, capture indentured serve, uh, slaves, runaway slaves. And, and we had active bounty hunters um, in the name of law enforcement in, in throughout Iowa and throughout the north. Um, we had John Brown running Underground Railroad right through here, right through this the, the Hamburg, Gold Coast, and this black neighborhood here in Davenport. Um, and, and so we, we had these things going on. Um, it's... it's um, a sense of go north didn't really happen to this freedom piece uh, for black people in this sense of feeling like they're 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 free uh, until later in the in the 30s and 40s. Um, to be honest with you, even though by law slavery right was over, <laughs> but but there was there was still things and and but not by culture exactly yeah. right right exactly yeah. Um, yeah. So, but but you know there was um, there were still opportunities though for black people in the north, and so um, there's documented of a guy by the name of Henry O. Wagner's fruit stand on Front Street. He's probably what uh, maybe one of the first black businesses that we know of, and this was this would have been um, like in the 1840s, okay, here in Davenport. So there's there's still some promise, right? But it was in pockets of of this. Um, in fact, it was, I, I don't have accurate pictures, but I would suspect that in order for a black person to get to the point where they own business, own a home, that they probably looked more caramel sure. than dark black. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. I'd see that. We have a lot more to talk about, so please stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI on KALA, Ambrose University, 
106.1 FM. In times of joy, in moments of grief, broadcasters come through even when all else fails. Today, with more ways than ever to experience the moments that transform our lives, Americans still choose broadcast radio and television more than all other media combined. We are the local broadcasters of radio and television, reaching more people, touching more lives. Brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords, and this is... And my name is Rick Sweet. This is the second segment of the show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today is Ryan Sadler, Associate Vice President for Diversity equity and inclusion at St. Ambrose University. And we're talking with Ryan about the black experience in Davenport. Our history buff for today's show is Ed Broder. Ed, you get the first question. Thanks, Rick. Um, Ryan, can you tell us uh, a little about the educational system such as they were, um, for example, in the late 19th century into the early 20th, and at what point did Davenport schools become integrated? Great question. So there is, uh, I think, 1858, a group of about 38 Davenport citizens um, raised enough fuss to expel, um, I'm not sure how many, several black students from what was what would have been Davenport schools num- school number two. Now, that school number two became known as Adams School. Um, it was built in 1854. There was then uh, this sense to create a, um, a colored-only school. Um, and instead of putting them in the building, they thought, well, maybe they could put them in, in the local black church. Well, that fell through for funding and, and resources and whatnot. Um, and in 1859, um, uh, and, and it, it was called School Number 3 here, guys, was later renamed Jefferson School. Um, it, it, they established a separate classroom for black school children um, in, that, in that school. And um, that was then on the corner of South uh, 6th and uh, Warren Streets. Um, and so... the, the it was this constant struggle in Davenport for black people to be integrated in part of even the, the, the school system and subpar conditions were still in play. Um, and this was the eight, you know, pre pre civil war. And so they were integrated to the extent that there were both black and white kids under the same roof, but not in the same room. Uh, 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 yes. Yeah. Hmm. Although apparently that hadn't been the case in school number two until people threw enough of a fit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they were kicked. I mean, it was in, it was it was ended. I mean, so the temp was there, but it right. was then ended. So it didn't last very long. <laughs> um, Rick. 
Yeah, Ryan, I'm I'm curious. Uh, you've given a, a kind of a temperature of how the educational system treated the African Americans. What about uh, uh, government, local government? What what was the 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 treatment that uh, African American residents uh, received from uh, local government, including the courts? Uh, your typical unfair treatment. I don't have a lot on the government piece, but what I do have on, I mean, it, it's it's documented in, in things. So I have a nonprofit organization, the Friends of MLK, um, um, that we settled on a place on, on Fifth Street and Brady Street because it was um, one of the first, as, as, as we think, one of the first uh, black businesses that had brick and mortar, per se, um, a gentleman by the name of Lindsey Pitts, but that that location um, along Fifth Street and to Perry and and so forth that that had some some a lot of black travel, a lot of mixed travel as well. In the papers, it was derogatorily known as Ethiopia Row, Dark Town Row. Um, there are there are things documented in the papers of arrests being made. And some of the terminology aren't necessarily radio worthy that I could even read what was in the papers that was said about some of the women or some of the men that were arrested, which give you a clear picture of how a black person was thought of during this time period. Ryan, I'm wondering, so that we paint a a clear picture, um, are there white supporters of African-Americans, people who are encouraging or bankrolling? Are there businesses that seem to be involved in this process so that we have this this sort of, again, I'm thinking of that tension between folks who are trying to help and folks that are trying to oppress? Uh, you know, um, yes. Uh, uh, William or Bill Hewitt uh, with John Deere, CEO of, of John Deere at the time, um, so this is now we bump into the '60s. He was he was he was very interested in some of these things, and he actually funded the the uh, his plane, John Deere, you know, his personal plane, and well, John Deere's corporate plane uh, actually flew uh, Dr. King out of here. Um, but John Deere, as a company, um, is it, it looks like were contributors to some of the first black churches, um, African-American uh, uh, Methodist Episcopal churches here, in, in both in uh, East Moline and in Davenport. And Davenport, uh, which is now Bethel, was um, is on the historical landmark as one of the places. That's not their original home. Um, they moved there uh, early 1900s, but um, John Deere was a, was a major part of helping them establish their 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 church um and of course again as i talk about john brown going through here in the underground railroad you had some folks uh german uh they called themselves the 48ers who were a part of the hamburg local so who were abolitionists who were actually helping and we have no idea the story is told that that they know that slaves runaway slaves were were on the train um in the caravan with john brown uh, as they left through parts, other parts of southern Iowa, coming through here, um, he had got, got word that U.S. Marshals were waiting for him in Davenport, Iowa, before they crossed the river. And somewhere, it's we don't know for sure, 
But the legend has it in the story that I tell, I'm sticking to it, I don't know, I don't see anything different, is that those that they were harbored somewhere in the Hamburg Gokuls by none other than, than some of Davenport's white citizens. And so there's, yeah, uh, there are great stories that we also have of, of the Germans, um, uh, the white Irish here as well, as you, as you look at some of those pieces. Those stories that I learned in my history courses growing up about how the Irish and the black were at odds at, uh, after the Civil War during Reconstruction, uh, while some of that lived here, that was not necessarily the full story uh, in in Davenport or the Quad Cities. Okay, Ed. Yeah, um, let's just pick a time here, and let's say the late 19th century. Do you have an idea of what percentage of the town of Davenport was black? Mm. I do have. Um, so what I have actually is... Um, from uh, from some census data, uh, three thousand. This would have been yeah, three thousand six hundred and fifty-two whites lived in Scott County. This would have been eighteen forty-seven. Okay. Okay. There were two Negroes. Yeah. I'm reading right from the paper. Okay. Right. Davenport's population is probably one thousand two hundred at that time. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. And, and and both of them are probably here. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's right. Woo. All right, Rick. Hey, Ryan. Ryan, if you know, if uh, uh, again, I'm I'm a Scottish American, and I was driven out of my family was driven out of Scotland because some English baron wanted our land, but that was 1844. So, um, you know, I, I think I've healed somewhat, but. Uh, <laughs> What what was the uh, the view of African Americans immigrating into the Quad City area in the uh, late nineteenth uh, century? What what kind of stories? What would propel them to come to what uh, definitely appears to be a fairly inhospitable community? Well, inhospitable to some, but hospitable compared to conditions that they were leaving. Sure. Makes, right? makes sense. So proper name, I mean, this show irrelevant or irrelevant. I mean, you talk about conditions. Um, I would much rather be in the conditions that were up here than the conditions that uh, we know of in some in parts of the Deep South. I think um, opportunity for work. And so um, that that was huge. Some of the stories and, and that we that we understand is... Again, the railroad uh, as it as it was, was was coming through here, and and um, uh, that's that's where some opportunity for work. As the country, you know, wartime and and post post that, we we saw many of the blacks that came to this area came from Kentucky and Missouri, and so you ask the question, why Kentucky? Well, many of the soldiers um, who fought enlisted to fight in the Civil War, uh, yet couldn't fight, were guards on the Arsenal Island. And in some, one of the five Civil War camps here in, in Davenport. And so those guys uh, had established relationships and, and friendships here. And so there's a trail of families that are from the Kentucky area and from Missouri area. And it's solely because of their lineage they had they had family who were fighting in the civil war or 
enlisted to fight in the Civil War. I want to make sure I'm clear because not a lot of black soldiers who wanted to fight were able to. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, so my question then, as we're progressing our timeline, um, so I'm thinking about post World War II, um, maybe even between World War One and World War II. Um, and I'm so I'm thinking about Jim Crow, the, the height of Jim Crow in the South. Um, how does Davenport look in that sense? Are we also sort of participating in Jim Crow, maybe at a minor level? Is that not playing out here the way it was in, in other parts of the country? Um, so how's that kind of look in, in that kind of mid 20th century? Yeah, so we have um, issues, I, I think. So, so yeah, so we know that the courts, we, there wasn't there really wasn't much tried in our courts. The first uh, piece that I know of in Davenport would have been um, I believe in the 50s would have been Charles Tony's, who, who, who we, we, we know in his him and his wife trying to go to an ice cream parlor, which we denote as part of our civil rights, um, uh, one of the seven. Now we have eight markers in the civil rights trail here. Um, so th- those things were definitely in, in place, right? Um, you, you were, I mean, the conditioning, when we talk about of, of black America is to um, succumb to the the fact that white people are superior, a superior race. And that definitely lived here in the Quad Cities. Uh, you had a few individuals uh, throughout time, uh, like in the Catholic Church here, um, who were looking at the fact that, you know, these are human beings with, you know, with, with God-given dignity and worth, and they were they were fighting, but there was infighting within um, the the congregation, and within the diocese, you know, to how far can you really go? Um, but as far as the the life, you 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 mind your business, do what you're told, and in terms such as uh, boy, um, we're still. Well, prevalent and and you know so it it was removed from the south but again as Malcolm X said it was you're still south of Canada you're still <laughs> right right um, it's customary that we give our guests the last word on the show so Ryan why do you think knowing about black experiences in Davenport is relevant in today's world it is very relevant because if we refuse to understand our history and understand the fact that um, there are, and there are significant black individuals from this uh, Quad Cities or that migrated here um, who have done significant things on, on, a, on a great stage, um, you know, and I, I can't even begin to name them and the things that they've done with, with the time. But um, to understand that uh, there are some blacks that, that I, what I, what I categorize, categorize as, as exhibiting black excellence. To understand that story for our youth and our and our and our people in this area, that to understand that there are individuals who who did not succumb to the hatred, um, they persevered. But not only that, but there are some individuals like Marv Modit who were significant in the fight for Black people as well as Hewitt from 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 Deer, who were instrumental in being what we now call today as allies. We still have those same individuals on the front lines fighting with us 
um, alongside of us for true equity and justice. And we have to understand that we have to do this together as an inclusive society if we're going to see the needle bend um, towards justice. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up, so please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes the 381st show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme and was written and performed by Mark Zap Zapital. My name is Jay Swords. We and would- my name is Rick Sweet. We would like to thank our guest, Ryan Sattler, Associate Vice President for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at St. Ambrose University, who talked with us about the black experience in Davenport. The history buff for today's show was Ed Broderts. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University. Jay, would you like to wish our listeners something? I will. Would you? <laughs> we would like to wish all of our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotsa Pula Nala. Peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night.